0: Welcome to KB Cast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I caught up with Blair Crawford from Daltrey, an industry peer and also a friend. Blair talks about the current state of affairs from an identity point of view as well as his beliefs on where we are headed as an industry. Blair discusses the future of biometrics and how companies today can go about implementing this into their organisation. If you'd like to learn more about biometrics then this episode is for you, so please keep listening. Blair, how are you? How have things been? It's been a while since you and I I think it was like June, July last year.
1: Things have been busy. The back end of the last year was mobbed, which is fantastic. But that meant after the holidays, we got to run into the start of 2021 with a lot of momentum. Mm. Things to do, new team members. Um, So yeah, it's been a quick start.
0: Well, I'm excited to have this chat to you today because I think that... What you guys do is pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. And it's a space that I haven't personally covered on the podcast before. So it's part of the reason, obviously, I wanted you to come on to have a chat. But before we dive into the identity space, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So can you talk our listeners through where you started to where you are now?
1: How far back... Are we going here? Do you want me to talk about when I came to Australia as a backpacker or in my uh, technology journey? I'm assuming you just want to speak about my technology journey.
0: How how you answer it, however you feel, is required to answer the question.
1: I think what I'll say is um, there was a bit of a journey. Um, to figure out that I wanted to be involved in the biometric and identity space. Um, one role that I will um, mention that was part of that, which was kind of influential in shaping my understanding of some of the gaps mm-hmm. in this marketplace was around um, the conferencing industry. I spent a lot of time in technology conferences. So through that, I got to be exposed to emerging problems, you know, needs from various stakeholders, and there was common themes. And I used that to shape the way that I was going to go about um, involving myself more directly in supplying technology to market. So I had a, I had a few options. Um, you know, There was the buzzwords that were floated about a few years ago around artificial intelligence, uh, blockchain, and then you had your data analytics, and then you also had identity management biometrics. Some of those I couldn't quite figure out what the application was at that time, but for me, biometrics and identity management, it seemed to resonate. There was a clear... A gap in my mind and a clear need in my mind um, to have higher security capability, but also a much better user experience when it came to interacting with services or with uh, locations from an authentication perspective. And the more that I got involved with the technology, um, the wider the use cases appeared to be to me. So I had been, um, I spent Uh, maybe six years, five, six years, working for another biometric company, doing a lot of work in federal and state government, Um, high security deployments of biometric technology into places like um, Department of Corrections, um, into defense, into federal police, places like that. But what I seen in that, um, through that experience, was that often the technology was being procured as a point solution. And identity cannot be considered as a point solution. Identity has to be a source of truth for a person's digital representation so that you can then trust in that identity wherever that person needs to be authenticated and whenever that person wants to actually do something across an operation. So I think the most uh, pivotal piece um, in my journey as it relates to identity and biometrics was the realization that the way that the market was set up so far as the vendor community it wasn't really going to be in a position to satisfy the wider range of needs that the market had around identity management. So I found Adultery, and the first thing that we wanted to do with Adultery was to say, how do we modernize the approach so that biometrics can be purchased as a capability that sits within the identity stack and then used wherever an organization deems it appropriate to do so? This is a bit of a snapshot all the way through from Backpacker to Daltry today.
0: Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's dive into the identity side of things. Now, you, you, you raised a couple of interesting points just then uh, speaking about uh, vendors and identity and how you sort of uh, the genesis of creating Doltree. So can you paint like a high level picture about where we're at currently and maybe go back in terms of like how we've evolved from an identity perspective as well?
1: I think one of the the big things that we're seeing right now is that and this is going to be driven because of the pandemic, but um will certainly much more quickly than it would have been otherwise. But the the corporate perimeter is, you know, is, is gone. It used to be that the perimeter was your front line of security and the corporate network was the front line of security. But now the corporate network is really just the Internet. And what we're seeing organizations say is, well, if our workforce is distributed across Anywhere in the country, their homes, Mm. cafes, whatever it might be, really we need to have a stronger method by which we can start that interaction with them as they interact with our services. And identity has quite quickly become um, that focal point. So, you know, you'll hear, you know, kind of buzz phrase, identity is the new perimeter. Mm. But I think if we take that back a step, we had made some fantastic advancements um, over the last two, three, four years in terms of understanding as a community of security specialists that identity needed to be more of a focus anyway. One of the big concerns that I suppose IT and um, and even physical security providers would have had uh, in terms of their responsibility within organisations was that there were multiple identities. If you can consider that... Um, when different functional areas of a business decide that they need a new functional app, they would install that app, they would create usernames and passwords, you know, they might link it back to Active Directory. But more often than not, we ended up with a siloed approach to identity decision making. So ironically, instead of having a single identity, users could have dozens of identities in some Mm -hmm. cases, especially across complex environments. So one of the big things that was happening was that federation of identity, which put us in a much stronger position to be able to deal with the situation that we're in now with the pandemic. Now, what that meant was that we could deploy things like single sign-on, start to consolidate the representation of a person as they interacted with the network and the applications and the physical locations which we needed them to to perform their roles. What the next step is, though, as we start to... um, consolidate that approach to move us towards a single identity for each person that interacts with our organization is that confirmation that the person who you think you've given a credential to as part of their identity is actually then the person who is authenticating Mm -hmm. so this is where we start to come into the conversation around well is this authentication method a username or password or an access card actually doing the job anymore I don't think so. Obviously, I've got a biometric company. I think this next stage in terms of the evolution of authentication much has to be much more tightly aligned to what we would call presentation attack detection or liveness technology. There's no point giving someone a credential if you can't confirm that the person then using that credential is who you intended to be using it in the mm-hmm. first place. And that is a big change in the way that we're thinking right now. We're seeing much more ment- momentum um, from organizations to say uh, we we want to be able to check that um, much more effectively than we can at the moment.
0: So when you talk about single identity, we want people to have just a single identity versus multiple or thousands of different identities, as you were just mentioning before, which I completely understand because it's quite frustrating Do you think that if you say that to someone perhaps in a large corporation where people are, you know, authenticating to various systems, do you think that 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 scares them a little bit? Well, it's like it was one point of failure then as well, whereas perhaps they may feel better because they're sort of falling back on multiple different identities then as well. Like if it's just the one for each individual person, like do you think that 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 scares them?
1: I don't think it scares them. I think – I think what we have to consider is that well, there's two sides, right? From the business side, so or, or from government perspective, the the agency side. Let's just call them organisations. From the organisational side, you don't really want um, your users having multiple identities because it's very difficult to manage. The costs Correct. are astronomical. Um, you've got security and risk posture issues, and um, you're also having issues so far as user experience, which which then leads to other. Issues um, related to adoption, etc. So, I think from the from the organisation's perspective, having a single identity and a root of trust for who's interacting um, with your operations is a is is a non-negotiable right now. From the user's experience, um, sorry, from the user's perspective, user experience um, is exponentially better when you only have one identifier. Correct. But, you know, if- the amount of companies that I've went into, and you have one set of applications which might be managed by, let's say, Okta. And then you go into another set of applications, and that might be managed by your traditional Windows. But then someone else has decided to introduce Gmail and Google into the ecosystem, and they've not all connected this from a centralized perspective, centralized identity perspective. So you end up with, what, two, three passwords just to get into your single sign-on platform, just to get into your workstation, so on and so forth. Then you have multi-factor authentication apps. Where was that code again? Did I save it in the Google Auth app or did I save it in the Opta app or did I save it in something else that I downloaded? It's an absolute user experience nightmare Um, and there's no need for it. It's inexcusable we have all the technology to be able to give people a seamless authentication experience. So to answer your question more specifically, I don't think it is that it, what scares them is the um, the reality that it's so hard to log into their emails every morning or into the, mm. the applications which they need to do their job. Oh, my God, so
0: frustrating. So would you say because, like you were saying, you, know, you may end up with five or seven different various mechanisms to log into something so basic, would you say it slows productivity down in companies? Because if you've got everyone doing that and it's, you know, it's a 10, 15-minute ordeal every day, if you add that up, it's quite significant amount of downtime that people are doing, really doing nothing at the end of the day.
1: Someone told me, I can't remember what it was, but someone told me that every password reset costs an organization $80. Oh, my gosh. So do the, do the maths <laughs> on that. And, how many pa-
0: <laughs>
1: and it's just completely unnecessary. And we're only talking about password I mean, what about when you lose your access card? Um, so you borrow someone's access card and it's just...
0: Some companies ours. used to make you pay for it, though. I think um, it's like right. $50 or something. It's like if yeah. you lose your access card, you got to pay for it out of your salary. That
1: but seems then, to be standard. That seems yeah. standard fee.
0: <laughs> well, people will lose 50%. it on left, right and center. I mean, I never personally lost one, but I remember various people did. But it keeps them more accountable then.
1: Yeah, it does. And $50 is also the same price as a case of beer. So maybe that's what the negotiation was.
0: Maybe, maybe. Maybe that's how they're benchmarking in in their head. Fair point, though. Uh, So what about, okay, so what about like historically? What what do you think, like, you know, RSA tokens and things like that? Obviously, we've progressed a lot since then. But because of the growth of what's happening in the space, uh, would you say that Things are just going to get even quicker with terms of identity because of where we sort of started to what we're doing now to even now even look sort of old school, right? Like we're now traversing into a little bit what, what you guys do, like biometrics and, and all these types of things. Like, do you think that things are only going to increase in terms of the velocity of how we move?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's two main, to me, there's two main themes, which certainly from my experience I mean, uh, I'm engaged with right now. Um, the first one is the convergence piece. Um, You know, the question is, why do we have a different credential to go through a front door than we do for accessing our business applications?
0: Why do we have that?
1: Just the way the market's evolved. It's just the way that physical security was siloed or operational security was siloed from um, logical or digital security. One was owned by the physical security team. One was owned by IT. So we ended up with a natural separation. It does not satisfy the cyber-physical needs of an organization right now. Many cyber threats can come through breaches in physical. There has to be a holistic approach to that. You need to start consolidating that um, in order to give your, your, your organization the best chance of um, creating a secure environment. So that's the first thing. Convergence is a big topic right now. Um, and the second one is making sure that when we onboard a user into our environment and we check who they are, you know, when you start a job, you do an identity check, you might provide your passport or driving license, you might do some police checks depending on the role, making sure that that process is then tied very closely to the credential issuance process. Um, More often than not, you have people come in into the process, sorry, coming into the onboarding stream um, and they interact initially with HR. HR then tick off that you've been onboarded somewhere down the process, IT then might issue you with a username and password to get into your business applications. And then somewhere down the process, um, in another step, someone gives you an access card. By the time you get that access card and that username and password, you're kind of not really connected to that initial identity establishment phase. You're just losing the root of trust on day one. You have to be able to create credentials and the identity so you have to be able to create the credentials for access for people at the same time you establish who it is they are especially in environments where you've got distributed team members um, who you might actually not get to meet face to face for weeks mm. or months or whatever
0: people in the industry have different viewpoints around password managers etc right right But what is your view on these companies and will these companies out there become redundant as more biometrics like adultery emerge? And that's sort of why I wanted to sort of ask you that last question to sort of see like how quickly we are moving um, and how things just become sort of redundant then and obsolete because we're moving in this pace that's very hard to keep up with.
1: I, um, I love my password manager. I use one password for my personal stuff. So um, I wanted to have a stronger password uh, generation tool, and then I wanted to be able to um, not have to remember all those passwords. And that was the best option, at least at the for time. my at the time, right? Mm. So, and it did. You know, it's great. It, it solved a lot of the problems because you can't just move all these from a consumer perspective applications that you deal with all forward at the same time. Um, so, to me, password managers were a great evolution. Um, from a user experience perspective but they also had an inherent security um benefit as well because they generated complex passwords and then managed them um for you and then they also gave you alerts etc if your credentials were stolen or whatever it might be so i think they were great um, they're not suitable um for the future and they will be phased out because um Passwords are fundamentally flawed in the first place, just like access cards. Um, you need to be able to have much more robustness in the mm. identity process. And yes, you can get complex passwords that may be very hard to crack. But once that credential is stolen, I mean, look how many stories there are right now about username and passwords being stolen. Just just yesterday, there was one about the Florida um, was it the Florida water system or something like that and someone stole a username and password and tried to shut the, the water system down I made a post on LinkedIn and I said we all lost our minds about um, the rural shortage what would happen if someone turned off the taps can you imagine the queues if oh someone gosh. turned off the critical infrastructure so at some point you're going to have to phase out these vulnerabilities and to go back to my early point mm. um, the credential is one thing But proving that the person using the credential is who you anticipated it to be is super important. And you just cannot do that with passwords. You have to have something like biometrics to confirm that Carissa is actually Carissa at the point of authentication.
0: And so just circling back on your point when you were sort of saying, um, you know, I was really listening to you about the new staff onboarding and how you get your username, uh, your access card, And you're, you know, the HR person sort of, you know, Blair's Blair. And so, do you think that um, with what you guys are sort of doing, that will remove a lot of the headaches that you sort of just explained in that scenario within organization? Because I guess you were sort of saying, like, by the time it's done the third or the fourth sort of, uh, you know, you've given your access card, it's, you're sort of not who you are by that stage anyway. I mean, that's sort of what I was picking up from what you were saying, but I guess with the biometrics, like it's biometric. So you you are Blair at every stage gate, so to speak, of that right. process. That's right. what I was trying to understand from what you were saying.
1: Yeah, correct. So they, I mean, there's two main concepts when it comes to um, onboarding a person from a biometric standpoint. We can either We can either onboard them remotely. So for example, on their Android device or their iOS device, we can scan the a passport document, for example, so we can read the information off of the chip on the passport the exact same ways you would have happen at border control. So we can take that image out. And then what we can do is match a selfie to that image. And then once we've matched those two images together to say, OK, Carissa is Carissa, at least to a certain level of assurance, what we can then employ is liveness detection. So we want to make sure that we're not holding up a photograph to a photograph, basically. We'll look for anomalies created by masks, video playback, animations, etc. So we can onboard a person remotely. And once we have confirmed that that person is a live person and that they match this government-issued document, a passport in this example, at the very same time of as confirming that, we can also create a facial recognition template That template can then be persisted to um, uh, a storage location so that a person can then turn up at their computer, present their face, do a liveness check again, Mm -hmm. do a match against the biometric identity they had just created a couple of moments ago, for example, on their mobile, and use that to then get into their web-based applications, their business applications. But they Mm -hmm. could also turn up to a physical location, present their face at a door, a CCTV camera, or a dedicated facial recognition device. Correct. Use their face to get through that door. But the point is that that credential was created at the exact same time as we were establishing the identity with a passport. So we've got that fundamental trust piece in there. So that's the first one, remote onboarding. The second one, for, um, in some cases, this is for higher security environments, but it may also be because you're wanting to use something like Iris tech- technology. Instead of it being remote, it may be managed. So, for example, in federal government and high security areas, you may actually want some sort of appropriately approved officer overseeing the identity establishment process and you trust that they're going to um, confirm who a person is and once they've done that they then enroll their biometric iris template for example so that would be a managed service but in right. both instances the establishment of the identity and the, and the creation of a credential for use in authentications events happened at the same time
0: so we just talk about facial recognition then for a second. And I know there's, you know there's a lot of false positives about these things, but how – okay, so just say I'm starting at adultery and I do, you know, the onboarding the way you guys want to do it. How much variance is there into still authenticating that I am who I am, even though my face, I don't know, shape may have changed, like is – or a nose job or something of the likes. Will it still notice that it's me or – like, would you have to redo the whole process again?
1: Yeah, I mean, in that, in that particular example, um, unless there was a, a low threshold, like it right. wasn't a high security environment, um, you're going to have to enroll again. It's going to say that's not the same person. Gotcha. Because the level of accuracy is exceptional. Um, so you'd have to enroll again. However, slight changes in your appearance, like a shorter beard in my case versus a longer beard, Um is not going to have the same effect. Um, it's still going to be able to identify you. One of the things that is important to consider in this uh, day and age is the wearing masks. So obviously right. if cover up. if you cover up half of your face, you're going to lose the opportunity to get 50% of the unique points.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So it's However, quite like high fidelity, I guess, what you're saying as well in terms of like recognizing your face. So unless it's small, minor things.
1: Hundred percent. But there's ways of you know there's ways to, to mitigate against that. So the first way is that you take um, you know, two images. You take an image with a person without the face mask on and then you take a picture with them um, or you, you create a biometric template with the mask on. Like oh you start to train you just start to train the technology to understand what Carissa looks like with a mask on versus off and then you start mm. to build up that picture. Um so that can all work but of course it's not suitable for other environments which is why you've got to give um you've got to give the the flexibility so for example um it may be that contactless fingerprint is is most appropriate when a person's face is completely covered it may be better to just swipe their hands and allow them to go into a um into an environment that may be in a hospital, for example. Um, you've always got the surgeons, for example, the clinicians with masks on. Um, they also don't want to be touching things in this, and uh, uh, not just because of COVID, but just in generally, it's the hygiene, reducing sure. the amount of times. So just swiping your hand before you go into, I don't know, ICU, whatever it might be. So that's an option, or it may be use iris recognition. So the the idea here is that in any of these situations, you give the person the opportunity to present a biometric, which is in line with the scenario that that person will find themselves in, depending on the the role that they perform, um, without um, impacting the level of certainty. um, Mm -hmm. And as far as possible, the user experience, um, you can
0: one of the things as well that I think I've spoke to someone else about, but authenticating like your walk, like everyone's got a unique walk, right? Like I remember my first job, I could hear the guys coming in the back of the office and I could tell who they were by their walk. Um, And so do you think that that will be, I mean, you were sort of giving examples around depending on what you're doing, like if you're in a hospital or, you know, if you're in quite high up in government, it would sort of depend, but do you think like authenticating your walk is something that's, May be relevant for like a large corporation, perhaps, because you are getting a lot of traffic going in and out of like the building.
1: So it's called gate technology, um, mm-hmm. G A I T.
0: Right. I don't, I don't know
1: if it will be used for authentication, but there, I think there is a use case for it for picking up certain, um, medical issues early. Right. So there is an example, um, Suppose we would have to check the exact details of this example that I'll I'll give, but it's um, it it is ran through the. A lot of people have heard about it. Anyway, it was Billy Connolly, um, famous Scottish comedian, as you probably know, and he was coming out of a lobby in tell. Um, he walked past a neurosurgeon. The neurosurgeon looked at the way Billy. Um, so the story goes was walking. Um, he, <laughs> okay. He, yep. He approached Billy. And he said, Billy, look, I'm not here for an autograph. I don't know exactly what he said, obviously, but I'm not here for an autograph. I've just noticed across the um, the walkway that I think you may have the early onsets of Parkinson's just because of the way you're walking. And you can imagine what Billy said to him. He would have started with an F and ended with an off. Um, but anyway, he changed. He decided to go and check it out. He's like, just go and check it out, blah, 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 blah. So it turns out that Billy Connolly did have the early onsets of Parkinson's oh and there is more and more research that suggests that the way you walk, if you were to have certain cameras, for example, in medical centers, not looking specifically for a person from an authentication perspective, but you may be able to use the technology to learn how a person walks. So, for example, in age care, you could be looking at how a person normally walks and you may be able to train the technology to see any variances which may suggest something else is going on and then you could act on it proactively so you know i, I don't know exactly how that technology will mature certainly in my experience i don't mm-hmm. see it for authentication um not right now certainly with what we're doing with her, but it mm-hmm. may be that it, that it could provide some benefit to people mm-hmm. from a medical perspective
0: Mm, no, that's really interesting. I think, yeah, I think someone did mention it to me oh, ages ago, actually, um, in one of our earlier podcasts. So I thought I'd just, just touch on that with you. But as you mentioned earlier, you know, talking about password managers, uh, I guess, like I said, people are for and against. I think the against part would be questioning their sort of reliability. But if we were to focus on reliability from a biometrics perspective, would you say that the gap is smaller in terms of the risk from like a traditional password manager?
1: They're not even on the same planet, to be frank. Like the point of failure in a password manager is one password being cracked and then you've basically opened up the floodgates to all of your passwords being um, used maliciously across your whole ecosystem. Um, the, The underlying technology with biometrics to be able to confirm a person is who they say they are Um, is a combination of two things. It's a combination of the quality of the algorithm which is being used to actually get those unique reference points on a person, whether it be their fingerprint, their face, their iris, or their voice, whatever. But then also the quality of the capture device, the cameras, the fingerprint readers, the iris readers, to be able to have highly complex um, representations of a person's physical self digitized so that you can create very... um, detailed representations of that person digitally and then match during authentication events. One of the other things that we've spoken about is that even if you do have, you know, the biometrics stored, you know, for example, the facial template, it's not a matter of then just matching that to another face template. It's that ability to confirm the liveness of a person. You know, in the case of facial recognition, you're looking for those masks. You're looking for video playback. You're looking for refraction and, uh, the screens that may be used to show a video right. when you're trying to break the system. Correct. All that technology is highly complex and it's always working, it's always evolving. You can't evolve a password. But the other piece of the puzzle is, no. if passwords are as well as you can just make it more complex and then, yeah. But the other thing is, that's just face. Then you've got iris we've got concepts of false accept rate, well not concepts, or measurements. False accept rate, false trajectory, failure to enroll. So in the case of false accept rate, the false accept rate is so low in irises, you could theoretically run um, everybody in Australia through the single iris reader, and they would never make a mistake. And you could do that time It's time. so unique. So unique. You <clears throat> might get hundreds of points. Oh, that's, you get varying, you get varying um, uh, estimations, but it may be around 350 to 400 unique points on each iris.
0: Wow. Times
1: times two, and then all of those are mapped to each other. Plus you're also looking for dilation. You're looking for where you can read um, um, whether the eye is alive at the time of presentation, you know, it's part of a live body. There's just so much depth that you can apply to confirming not just that the person matches the original reference template, uh, during the presentation but that, that person is alive at the time
0: mm. and what you're speaking about if someone were to sort of well you know here's a video of and so but it wouldn't authenticate them anyway because it can detect that it's not real it, That's it's a really, fabricated
1: yeah it's a really good thing to bring up so deep fakes um are a serious problem for um uh misinformation and the spreading of propaganda etc uh because people they're going to get so good that if you're just watching youtube and you see barack obama or what looks like barack obama say x y and z it will be very difficult to actually um uh, differentiate between the real one and uh, a deep fake
0: oh my gosh that's so concerning but yes
1: But that isn't necessarily the same problem you have with, for example, authentication. I'm a human viewing that screen. What happens when you show a video of a fake Barack Obama to a biometric reader is that it's going to, through the technology, say, well, you're showing me a video. So I don't really care how much it looks like Barack Obama. It's a video. so it's not because it's a video it's not so much there's not barack obama it's more that it's a video because we can see refraction and light there's various depths now the other thing is that biometrics is a multi-layered uh, technology so you also want to make sure that there are other layers connected to the actual authentication event pr- of the 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 presentation of a person to a camera to initiate the biometric capture you want to make sure that you can inject information, you want to make sure that you have the right level of security across the applications, you want to make sure that you can control as much as possible the actual devices which are capturing the biometric. So you want to rely on the hardware, and then you also want to rely on the machine learning that's connected to the algorithms underlying as well. So there's there's a lot there, but there's no doubt that deep fakes um, are something to, to keep an eye on.
0: So I'm going to ask something here. Do you think, like, okay, so let's talk about passwords for a second, right? Everyone obviously can understand that. Do you think that these guys, password manager companies, they'll just become, like, redundant, like, very shortly then? Because what you're explaining about biometrics is inherently harder to, I guess, crack versus passwords. So wouldn't people just naturally just ad- – I go okay well i'm just going to completely abolish this whole thing and i'm just going to go straight to doing biometrics i mean obviously it's a lot more expensive and all of that type of stuff but to me it just seems like a bit of a no-brainer but i guess it comes down to you know maturity of an organization and and all of those types of things i'm just i'm just thinking like out loud here like I, I just don't see how these other guys are going to really sustain like
1: any sort of Nah, no, it's already it's already starting to diminish the you know and it's not just biometrics is a huge piece of that puzzle but users want a better experience so they are already starting to look at how they can create their digital identity you know how they can use that digital identity from a consumer perspective to interact with the services which they want to enjoy or whatever Um, the consumer piece is slightly different than the workforce piece Um, the workforce needs to have much more um, uh there needs to be much more thought in terms of removing the passwords first because um they have they have moved in the single sign-on direction and they have multiple access management platforms already deployed into their organization what they need to then do is make the decision to move towards biometrics and go passwordless so The password managers are already starting to be phased out because the companies have got things like Okta or Auth0, whatever it might be. So the, for a large percentage, they will be on that journey already. So that leaves the password managers to a high extent with the consumer world, and the consumer world's moving away from it as well because they all want digital IDs. They want to be able to leverage you know, um, the facial recognition on their mobile or you know, whether it be an Android or whether it be an iOS device. So, yeah, I do think for that industry, as good as it was, um at the time it was unfortunately just a stopgap between mm. uh, then and now when we will have much better authentication options
0: what, what, what one was it was it one password or last pass that got hacked wasn't it last pass i think
1: was it i missed that one
0: i think yeah i think it was i think it was breached like a few years ago so i mean look everyone's got their opinions on that um i'm just curious about opening up that conversation and i think that um You just said that they're there for a stopgap because, you know, it's an evolution. That's how how technology evolves and how we we operate as a society. We we move on from things very quickly in the tech space. So do you think that people are just trying to still adapt to what we were doing even five years ago and now we're introducing more advanced solutions like biometrics? Like, do you think like not the word scares people, but do you think it just overwhelms people with, oh, well, I was midway implementing one solution and now this Blair dude comes on KB's podcast and now I've got to go and look at biometrics. Like, do you think that people um, feel just like they can't get their head above the water, they start doing one thing and the next thing's out or well, what's your sort of take on it?
1: Um, I know what you're saying. I think that, the biggest change or one of the biggest things to consider is that identity should sit above the application layer. So um, it becomes a bit spaghetti world when you've got too many applications all fighting for who owns identity at a functional level. Yeah. If you step identity up above the functional applications and up above the devices, which will be um, authenticating a person, then you can start to at least clarify where your identities sit. So, I think the biggest struggle is around who should own identity within a business. I think that there has to be much more diligence spent from a risk perspective in organizations. They should have chief risk officers um, and they should have identity risk as one of the most important things to be uh, looking at, continually mitigating against any risk associated with it and making sure they don't become issues. So I don't think that... um, I don't think they're scared and I don't think they're just making lots of bad decisions. I just think that, um, in fact, for the most cases, I just think that they're ready to do something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: see a lot of organizations completely aware. Um, it's, a, it's a board level problem now. Um, they know that identity uh, needs to be better or identity technology needs to be better within their organizations. So they're they're saying, cool, how do we do it? Let's go. It's that type of thing that I'm seeing right now. There's a lot of momentum, um, and no one wants to get hacked. They, they, especially for something which is so easily avoidable. I mean, the complexity of some of those SolarWinds breaches, of the hacks, mm. were was you know it was, it was top level stuff. But then you also seen some of the vulnerabilities were exploited by uh, credential thefts. Come on, no one wants to be getting hacked that level with Mm. credential theft it's just not appropriate anymore and I just think there's no excuse to to, to move some of these technologies out of your business to enforce much better authentication methods Mm -hmm. Um, and I think 2020 was a bit of a warm up um, with all the hacks that we've seen uh, especially credential hacks I think that um, 2021 we're going to see some absolute crackers.
0: But even like from a financial perspective, you said before, like 80 bucks per password reset, like, I don't even want to think on how much I've cost some of the companies of resetting my password. Uh, And I think that that'll be heavily decreased because you're not going to be resetting your password because you don't have a password.
1: Correct. That's it. So if you've
0: got 50,000 people on average resetting their password once a year, it's quite exorbitant amounts of cash, right?
1: Absolutely. Plus people share passwords. I went into this huge organization and they had their team. They introduced, I obviously won't say who it was, but the.
0: Um, this is a security podcast, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's, there's no way. <laughs> but I couldn't believe it. And they basically had introduced complex passwords, right? So uh, traditionally, they had 3,000 password resets a month. And they introduced complex passwords, which, you know, putting in a. a, a a dollar sign or whatever um and their password resets went to eight thousand a month mm. but then found, but then what they found was that their team members were just writing and sharing the passwords on whiteboards and the staff rooms
0: oh my gosh that's wild
1: it's a huge problem because who can remember these complex passwords
0: well i get it that's, done that's...
1: some of the groundwork to to make, even put a password manager in to fix that. But some organizations are not even doing that. Um, it's just it's just such an easy fix now. Um, you know, biometrics aside, some of this stuff is just an easy fix now. Um, and money has to be spent to do that.
0: So let's talk about the consumer side of things. So as an example, like in my building, like where I live, building managers constantly emailing us, like, you know, we've got the fob keys, don't let people in, like constant. It's like a daily email about, you know, don't let people in you don't know, and you've got to do this and that. And, and I think if you have, do you think that consumers, you'll have the biometrics sort of come into play even for people's like buildings, for example, because, um, you know, we've got people wandering here all the time, like apparently taking stuff from the mailroom and who knows what else. Right. But I mean, if they, if they've got biometrics, it may reduce the risk. I mean, if someone's still following in someone through the door, then that's a different problem, but you know, it's a lot harder to, to break into if you, if you you know, scanning your, your, ret- like your retinas almost of your eyes. So it's a little bit different to, well, I just took someone's fob key because they were at a coffee shop and they didn't notice. So it's a, it's a little different, right? So I think, do you think that'll definitely start to come into play in terms a of the consumer bil- side of it? A right. lot of
1: buildings already have biometrics, just there's a um, at gateway in Sydney. I've done in my career, I've done building projects for residential properties. You can buy you can buy personal biometric systems for your for your apartment or your house now. Um, a lot of that stuff is is it may be consumer grade to an extent, but it does a it still does a great job for the risk profile, um, and it's an amazing user experience. The convenience aspect is fantastic. Um, you can even you know associate biometrics for uh, people who come to, for example, do work in your house so if you had a long period of work doing maybe some extra construction or an extension you could give people access via biometrics so you don't have to be there to manage keys etc and then you just turn off the access when the work's done so Mm -hmm. there's just things like that that um from a consumer grade perspective um biometrics will get much greater penetration and of course you've got biometrics in everybody's phones now the penetration is is significant already biometrics is um definitely going to and it already is because you can have your biometric on your mobile and then you can use um, it to authenticate yourself into services, You know your personal services. So that's already there. I think what I will say is that um, people need to take uh, more direct accountability for how they're managing their own personal security. Um, often we rely on these companies that you know, they provide the password managers or um, we just uh, default to that, which is made available on our mobile phones. Um, But given the risk is really on the user, um, we should be asking more questions about the appropriate technology for our risk profile. So it's really, you know, it's important based on your experience and what your opinion of the tech is. We need to be saying, well, where is my data going? How do I understand this? How can I better understand the security of that um, vendor's uh technology how are they protecting me as a user
0: um well, the- probably not to be honest depends on if you're oh. like a retailer like no they don't they don't care so we put our trust in these players that who knows where half of this stuff's gone
1: i agreed and i think that's where we have to fall back on this you know the kind of needs to know concept and it's not so much that um They need to know everything about us as we perform some sort of transaction on their website and just retailers or whatever aside for a second it's what do i as the user what is the minimum amount of information i need to give in order to um be authenticated into a service to receive the goods and it's this exchange of value right am i getting enough out of being able to sorry am i getting enough from that vendor To justify this level of data being given to them and also how are they protecting it? And as soon as you can start to get that balance. Like for example, I've been, I've not had Facebook for, I don't know, nine years, Instagram. I just I didn't like the I it did not resonate with me the amount of value I was getting for the amount of information I was given to them. And as soon as they took over WhatsApp, I got rid of WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. was not a consensual relationship, that was a suck all the information we can off of you. And, you know, the privacy updates has caused absolute wildfire um, results for them um, because of the the implications from a privacy standpoint, and they're losing tens of millions of people. So I think that has to also be considered, you know, that exchange of value. I'm happy to give my data, but I need to get something back from it. And that's really important when it comes to identity. You need to have trust in that identity provider. You need to know how they um, live and breathe the protection of that which you ultimately use to authenticate and go about your consumer day-to-day or your workplace day-to-day. Um, and there are a lot of uh, um, uh, lax approaches out there. And a big thing that we're focused on right now, we're um, we're heavily involved, um, being driven by our, our chief technology and security officer, uh, Julian Bringer, Um, authoring the ISO standards for biometrics and the treatment of biometrics and associated data end-to-end. That is a huge piece of work and it's extremely important to make sure that ultimately the user is protected. And there needs to be better standardization. There needs to be better regulation. There needs to be wider understanding as to what a good identity solution looks like versus a bad one. Um, And wrap all that in together and I think we'll be in a much better position as a society um, that values its information
0: So on that note, would you say it's a fair assumption that people don't really know what to expect when it comes to biometrics?
1: No, I don't think that's true actually, because they're all using it on their mobiles. So in terms of what they can come to expect from convenience and user experience, I think everyone's pretty familiar. It's pretty cool to be able to look at your phone and just not have to deal with a password. Um, it's pretty cool um, to call up You know, some of the government the agencies have deployed voice recognition to not uh, have to remember, You know, recite your dog's name and some other random questions that they're going to ask you the answers to. Um, and just to speak and be authenticated. Everybody understands, I think, that that is a really great user experience. What I don't think the market understands to the depth that it needs to is, as I said, I'm going to go good versus bad. Um, The treatment of the biometrics, how it's being stored. Um, And it's not just biometrics. It's just, let's just say personal data generally. Um, How is it they go about making sure that the liveness detection and the presentation attack detection is employed properly? How do we make sure everything's being encrypted across my personal data? How do we know that it's on a need to know basis? All these things should be public, you know, published. What is your approach vendor? Um, and what are the standards which you follow, which I can reference as a concerned person who wants to do the best by myself? Those are the things which we need to be asking more questions of. And um, as I said, the good vendors, will tell you the answer straight, and they will give you all the evidence to support that. Uh, The bad vendors, you'll find them very quickly because there will not be any answers. Um, And you just stay away from them. And over time, uh, the market will mature where the best will rise to the top, um, and the other ones will disappear.
0: So would you say that as a result, that more learning will probably need to be done in this space because of like you just said, asking the right type of questions, perhaps like how how are they storing stuff that they don't tell you, then therefore they're probably not a reliable vendor to be working with.
1: All right. I think you know every time we go into an organisation and we're we're building our technology into the 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 um, into the stack, how are you going to deploy this is, is is obviously a key consideration. But how are you going to bring your teams into this? How are they going to understand what's in it for them? The education piece. You do this right. The user is more protected than they are if you get it wrong um an education piece is, is absolutely critical in every one of the deployments that that we will do um and that we do do so yeah i think that is a key part of it and i think the you know we're, we're doing a lot of work to publish the standards and the stuff that we're working on you know we contribute as much as we can to the content piece Mm -hmm. You know, very upfront with everything we're learning, um, all the questions that we think people should be asking, um, you know, whether they go adultery or, you know, an alternative something in terms of their authentication journey. um, At least be in a position where you can ask the right questions, whatever it is you choose. So I'm pretty passionate about that um, from a security and privacy perspective.
0: Well, Blair, it's been an awesome chat, talking everything about identity, biometrics. I really appreciate your thoughts. If people perhaps have a question that I didn't ask you today, how can they go about asking you?
1: They can send an email to hello at Daltry.com, um, or you can also ask it on our Twitter. Our handle is ID. Um yeah, there's lots of ways to get us. So you can jump on the website and ask a question there, dog
0: Thanks for tuning in to KB Cast, the cybersecurity podcast for executives. We always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time.